Man, we need that energy today, and we can feel it. Thank you for being here. I mean, when you have a snow night, man, it's January, it's cold. You could have slept in, but listen, you made it, so thank you for being here. If you're watching online, whether that's in Dallas or Kansas City or wherever it may be, congratulations. Thanks for tuning in. We're excited that you're here with us. And we want you to know that we're starting a brand new series today, and it is called Behind the Music, baby. And we're going to have a little fun with that today, because this guy, your pastor, loves some music. I always have, and I like all kinds of music. Now, I don't know about you, but as I go through these, I want to ask you if you like it. I need some participation this morning. Can you help me with that this morning? Can I get an amen? All right. Anybody love country music? Where are you at, country music lover? First concert I ever went to in my life was country music, and I love it too. Can I take you back in time? Watch this. So hold me close and love me. Give my heart a smile. Y'all remember that right there? Alabama, where are my Alabama fans at? Come on. Big, man. Back in the 80s, that was big, man. A Hagen Gunstream, a Smokey Hyde, KRMD, they gave me my tickets. Hagen went to high school with me at Southwood. He was like, man, I got the hookup for you. We're going to see the concert. First concert I ever went to. Second concert, I actually had to sneak into. This is back in the 80s. You remember anybody go to Hearst Coliseum for concerts? Where are the Hearst people at? Come on. Man, they were coming to town. My mama said, you cannot go. You cannot go. That's rock and roll because I'm a rock and roll. Any rock and roll lovers? Where are my rock and roll lovers? See, because I had a little country background, but then I got a little rock and roll love, and all the next thing you know, I was like, I'm going to have to sneak into this, all right? So back in the day, they had smoke breaks at Hearst Coliseum. They'd open them side doors, and they'd come out smoking. We were young, skinny, and fast, son, and we would run in through the door, and they would try to grab you, and then you'd just run into the crowd and be like, we made it, we made it. And here they are. This was one of my favorites. I actually got on stage with them. I got a backstage pass because somebody gave it to me. I stood right behind the drummer of this iconic rock band. One of my favorites, Night Ranger. Watch. Come on. <laughs> like five of y'all. I barely heard of them. Man, this was iconic, man. Night Ranger was classic. One of our favorites, my daughter, I raised her right, still one of her favorites, all right? So you got a little country, you got a little rock and roll, but then, is there any R&B funky lovers up in here? Where are my R&B people? Come on. Now, if you're going, Justin, do you really like it? Yes. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite concerts of all time I went to in just the last few years, my wife said, Justin, if he comes anywhere close we have got to go, all right? And speaking of going, we went to Dallas, and we went to see the man, the big show, the one that gets you on your feet to have a good time. Just ask the Super Bowl halftime performance that I took this from. This is your man, Mr. Bruno Mars. Watch. This is your opportunity to dance, y'all. So let me see you get loose. 
I'll notice or not, Angie made the halftime show, son. That was awesome. So this is the whole deal today, all right? That's what I grew up on. I love all styles of music. I have a ton of fun with it. But about mid-80s, my mom started working at Christian Life Tapes and Books. Anybody remember that on Juella Road? Yeah, I see you down there. Scott raised his hand. I get it. But here's the deal. This is kind of what it looked like. My mom worked there, and all I knew was music on the radio, music on MTV. I didn't know there was any other music. And Christian Life takes some books. When she started working there, she said, how old are you? I think, I don't remember. I was turning one of my birthdays, teenage birthdays. She said, I got good news, Justin. You get to come to Christian Life, take some books, and pick out any tape. I was like, yay. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would I pick out a tape? She said, well, there's something called Christian music. I'm like, boy, that sounds fun, you know? Because when you have Night Ranger, Motley Crue, all the stuff I grew up with, man, it was like, no, man, Alabama, I mean, cooling the gang. I was like, why would I go in there and get me a Christian tape? Well, she said, I want you to come in here and I want you to get you a Christian music tape. So I go to Juella Road, walk in, and I'm looking at all of these different tapes and everything, and they all look boring to me. I'm like, how in the world is this going to work? I ain't got nothing for this. And then I finally decided to pick one with the coolest cover. That's how I'm going to decide to pick my music. And here it is right here. This one's the one that jumped out at me. The first cassette I ever owned that was labeled Christian music was Over the Edge by Jeff Moore. Now, it may not mean anything to you, and it didn't mean a lot to a lot of different people. But in the process of my life, this one cassette began to change my perspective, including one song found on this cassette that I was like, hey, that's got a cool vibe to it. I found the video for you, and I'm actually going to take you back to, I think, 1986 with a song called, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Watch. See them old risky business sunglasses? That's the only reason I picked it out. Now, most of you are like, I've never heard of that in my life. Where's that stuff coming from? Well, cool story is this guy is the one that I eventually went to work for. When I moved from here after high school and early part of college, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee and started working for Jeff Moore, which is a total crazy story I'll have to tell you another time. But the reason that I wanted to bring that point up and that message up is because that song begin to change my perspective. And I was like, man, that's cool. They got some good guitars in there. They got some good drums. That may be all right. But then something went mainstream that changed everything. Because if I wasn't really sold yet on Jeff Moore and Washington, I was like, it's just kind of cool. I'm not there. But when this next thing happened, I was like, now I might be into this. There was a band back in the 80s that if you were at all alive, you heard of them, you have seen them. You may not have liked them, but you go, oh, I remember them. Uh, it's called the Yellow Black Attack, all right? And it is the infamous band Striper, and it changed everything. Watch.
Driver had such a theatrical mindset. Their skills were great. Their stage presence, their swagger. They figured out this look with the yellow and black. Driver comes on, and honestly, you would have thought it was a Satanistic killing ritual or something. My mom was like, oh, in the name of Jesus, like, get to your room. them at a show and they're chucking Bibles. One of them hits me in the face. And I was like, I literally just got chucked in the face by a Bible. Every second of that performance was so thought out and so intentional. And you were always seeing something new. They were over here and then they were over there. So if you look at the king and country now, it's basically Striper. <laughs> Our first video got airplay on MTV in 85. MTV used to always come back and say, we can't play your video because there's too much Jesus in it, or too patriotic, or too this, or too that. They started dialing TV. Then it wasn't up to the program directors. It was up to people, the fans. Hi, you're on Dial MTV. Have you ever heard of this, uh, this band called Striper who sold over a million albums of their new ones? Oh, yeah, man. Man, this is the best. We killed all the other bands on the countdown. Motley Crue, Poison, Bon Jovi, killed them all. Went to number one like that and stayed at number one. Things were happening that was really humbling and miraculous that didn't happen to other bands. There was something going on with Striper that I can't explain other than God was just really blessing the band. Any Striper fans, where y'all at? Come on, let me hear you, somebody. Now, the reason I asked for that is because for me, all right. I was a kid that grew up in the 80s. MTV influenced me. I watched. I paid attention. I loved music of all styles. But MTV went next level. And most of the time on MTV, it was bands that were playing, you know, music on the radio. I mean, it was things that kind of grabbed your attention. Well, here is this Christian band, Striper, who actually made it to MTV and then began to headline some of the biggest concerts in the nation. I went and saw them in Monroe and... For those old school people, White Line opened up for them, which they were kind of the big rock band at the time, but they were the opening act. Striper was the headliner. So then I'm like, man, not only did it begin to influence me, it took me to the next level to go, man, you can have an impact. You can do rock and roll and you can do things differently. Well, we had a band that was playing in bars around this time, okay? So we were playing bars, and I mean, from Humphreys in the Square to Million Dollar Sam Piper, all these different places. Don't judge me. That's just where we were. And at the same time, my mom was telling me about Christian music because she knew that music was a big deal to me. And honestly, when Striper did what they did, and I got a hold of some of the music that DeGarmo and Key and some of these others that were like, man, there's some people doing some good stuff. Obviously, I knew Jesus, I had a relationship with him, but I did not know what to do when it came to the music side of things. And through time, through prayer, and through all of the different you know, struggles, we eventually left the bars and started a Christian rock band called Open Eyes. Here's an early picture, and this goes all the way back to where we would play wherever we could play. Because back then, Christian music wasn't played a whole lot of places, but a few churches here and there would say, hey, man, come and play. A lock-in here or a camp here. And this was the early days. Ronnie Jordan and Ron Pettit, those are uh, Ronnie's around here sometimes at Simple Church as well. And Ron, uh, Alan Smith on guitar. That's just what we did. Well, then it progressed a little bit further. And this is where I met Daniel and Greg. And this is the next band picture because Greg is the one playing guitar and bass up here. And Daniel's playing drums. And around that same time, 
we really went all in. I mean, the 90s, you know, 80s into 90s, they started getting the grunge thing, and we started playing a lot. We got to play all across the South. We got to play big shows, small shows, and in that, we decided to really go for the rock and roll thing. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of places that would let you play, but I went and found a little video footage for you. Aren't you excited about going back to 1997? <laughs> You're like, not really. Well, I'm going to take you on a little journey because this is Daniel and Greg and myself and Alan in Houston, Texas, just so you can kind of see what we were doing. And this was a little crowd. They were having a little fun with us, but this is one of our original songs and then another cover song. But just to give you a little inside information, an inside look at what it looked like when we were doing these rock concerts back in the day in churches. Watch. Give it a little open eye, a little uh, back in the day. Now, you're probably going, why am I showing you all this? Well, the reason why is because I want you to understand how I'm on the stage, what my story is, why music means so much to not just me, but to Greg and to Daniel. Because now it's coming up on nearly 30 years we've been doing this. And it's not just the guys on the stage. The guys backstage also are on the road with us, Todd and Chip and Daniel. Many of these guys toured all around the South with us. And we did some big shows, some small shows but the one thing that happened as we were on this journey is about in the 90s, it went from rock and roll and having a good time in a concert into what people labeled as worship. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that, but let me show you a couple of pictures first. This is a picture from somewhere in the 90s. This was 
the Youth Evangelism Conference down in Alexandria. They hired Open Eyes not to do a rock concert, but to lead them in worship. And it was about 5,000 kids. We did it in the round, like Def Leppard back in the day. That was a big show that we did. It was fun. We had a ton of fun. A ton of kids, all from the state of Louisiana, came together, and we did a big concert. We led them in worship. And then another example, I found this picture recently. This is me and Greg in Birmingham, Alabama. We used to do these big rallies, these worship rallies. This was an outdoor venue and there were thousands of kids that would come in to this first priority event and we would lead them in worship and at the time yes it was a rock style but it was still taking kids to a place of worship now you go well, I don't even really know what that means or I don't know what that looks like well I found you can tell these tapes are old because those are all on VHS did you hear the little static that's awesome this is another VHS clip this was where we went to a camp. Now, the reason I'm doing this, I promise you, is going to make sense in a minute. But I want you to see how the kids responded and their reaction as we led them in worship at this camp. Now, i got to talk over it because the audio is bad, but I'll give you a good example. This is what it looked like. Roll the tape, please. So when we would go into these environments, these kids would gather, they'd get around, and we would sing in songs. We'd get their hands clapping. We'd get them dancing. We'd get them singing, all for the purpose of pointing their attention and their focus to Christ. Even if it's just for a minute, even if it's for five minutes, because this was the newest thing in Christian music. It wasn't just a concert. We were wanting them to join us as we sang these songs. Uh, this song we're singing right here is Amy Grant had came out with a song, an album called Songs from the Loft. And so we would pick a song like that and we would come in and teach these kids a song and they would sing the songs and have a good time with it. But then occasionally we would go back to the concerts and it would be songs that we wrote or songs that we had grown up with that we redid a little bit to try to help people get into that place. So there's one more video for you, and then I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully will set up this entire series. But let's go back in time again, about 1997 or so, with Open Eyes into Worship. Now, watch. Sing it with us one time, would you? Now, the reason I show you all that is because at our life, at this time, we knew about rock and roll, we knew about MTV, we knew about music, but something was changing where the focus was an honest look at yourself and reflecting in that time, Jesus helped me. That song, I Need You, uh, me and Alan wrote a long time ago when his father died. In the middle of his father passing away, we sat down in a, a moment of pain and just said, man, we need you, Lord. So we used to start, we just started singing it to him. Lord, I need you. God, I need you. I need you. 
song created me that was sung before that. Me and, uh, or actually Greg Walker wrote the majority of it. Me and Daniel, some of the others added some parts when we came in. And it was from a, a challenging time. We're like, God created us a clean heart, a pure heart. Help us to start over. Then the other song was just a worship song that was popular at the time, but we kind of had our spin on it. And the whole idea was this. Just help us, God, to see you a little clearer. Help us, God, to walk with you. Speak to us. Encourage us. Give us some guidance and some direction. So here is my thought for today, and as we go in behind the music, what defines worship to you? If you were to sit here right now and you go, this is kind of my experience. This is what I did. I mean, nearly 30 years. Without those experiences, I'm not the pastor. Without that experience, you're not in the simple church. All of those moments led up to me going, all right, God, I'm going to move into following you full-time into ministry. I found one of the tapes that I listened to when I was editing all this stuff down where I'm talking, and I'm not a preacher, okay, y'all, hey, and I was doing murder. We're not, I'm not a preacher. I'm just here to help you. And I'm like, little did I know that I would become a preacher. That wasn't the goal. I never thought it would happen. But maybe for you, you're going, well, I grew up more traditional. So for you, when you think worship, you think hymns. Or if you grew up in maybe a more formal religion, you have a liturgy. Because I remember I have Catholic background as well on my grandparents' side. Or for maybe for you, if you say worship, you think prayer. But I went to my life group, which, again, you know, they're a bunch of guys that, you know, barely know Jesus. Pray for them. But we're all in there gathering around, having a good time, laughing and cutting up. And I said, all right, guys, what does worship mean to y'all? And nine out of ten said, it's music. Because that's what we grow up with. We equate worship with music. We even call our worship nights. Well, that way you know, oh, they're going to do a lot of music that night. Well, I ran across this video because if you grew up with music the way I grew up with it, this is going to make you laugh. If you didn't, you're like, I don't even know why that's so funny. But I'm going to take you back to the formality of worship music. And you go, well, what do you mean, Justin? Well, go with me on this journey because this reminded me of being in Catholic church with my grandparents. I never knew exactly what to do. But every once in a while, something sounded familiar. Watch. Because you never knew what was going on, and everybody that was in the church kind of knew. And so you were kind of trying to figure all that out. Well, that's the way I grew up. Me and my brother used to sing, and we would try to hide other magazines in our hymnal. You know, my brother had Hot Rod Magazine. I'd have Sports Illustrated. Because we were not really in it because it wasn't our style. It wasn't what we knew. But when you grow up in church, those are some of the members you have. Some of them are good. You can go, man, that was awesome. And then some of them not so good. But the one thing that I have experienced and learned today is that back then, people equated worship to Sundays only. 
It was like, man, are you going to church? And you went to church on that day, and that was your worship day. And then they would ask you, well, how was the singing? Did was the singing good? Did what songs did you? We used to pick out hymnal numbers, and everybody was excited when they had a day you could pick them. But it was pretty much organ, piano, and singing. And then that was considered your worship. But then, also, they just turned on you a little bit, added a little flavor in there. We added youth choir on Wednesday night. So then it went to more singing. It was like singing on Sunday morning, and then if you're really committed, you would come and sing on a Wednesday night. And then this is what got in my mind as a result of that, what I heard and what I lived. Here it is. I'll put it on the screen. Worship was equal to my religious activity. So when someone said, well, are you worshiping? It had to be in the context of a building. It had to be in the context of song. It had to be in the context of some kind of religious activity. And a preacher's job at that time was to guilt you into more activity. And so he did, and we did. We would go more and more, and we would try to get more and more involved. And it was like, man, we're worshiping because we're active in doing all of these church things. Well, at 52 years old, I have figured out, and I want to share with you what I now know. Not a lot, but a little bit. And that is that worship is way bigger than any religious activity. It's not about just singing a song or attending a church service. Worship is bigger than that. So here's the question for you. What if worship is bigger than one particular day? Or what if it's bigger than one song or one style of songs? Well, by the end of today, hopefully, you will get the scriptures to go, now I get it. If you didn't grow up in church and you don't have any idea, here is your basis for the description of worship according to Scripture, Not my opinion, not what other people think, not even a denomination. So this isn't Catholic or Baptist or Methodist. This is Jesus. This is the New Testament. Watch. Romans 12, 1. Surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So when you start looking at Scripture, if you're going, well, what is it? What does it mean? How do I know if someone's experiencing worship or living out worship? Well, here's the deal. It is about us, me and you, becoming a living sacrifice. So let me put it in an easier-to-understand translation. Romans 12, 1 through 2, same Scripture, but this is in the message. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, of course. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So here's the first thing I want you to know. It's not just you singing the songs. It's not like, man, now I've worshiped because they played a familiar song or it's something that I grew up with. No, it would be, I woke up this morning. I'm able to go to work. I'm able to raise my children. I'm able to love on my wife. I'm able to go to work, to school, to be with my friends. And all of these things encompass worship. This is what he is saying. Now, we didn't grow up with that. Worship was be at church, be here and sing. And if you're not singing and you're not here, then you're not worshiping. And if you're really committed, you'll be at another activity and you'll be at Wednesday night choir and you know you need to do all these things. But often we left out. No, the most important biblical description of worship is your life, way beyond the songs that we sing. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, another example. Whatever you do, I don't know what your job is. I don't know what your career is. I don't know what stage of life you're in, single, married, whatever it is. But whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or not, now at this time, why is he thrown in there? there? Because in the church, they were arguing, saying, well, if you eat this, you're not worshiping. 
Oh, no, you need to eat this if you're going to worship. And you need to stay away from this or you're not worshiping. And they were in this big battle in the early church, in the church at Corinth. And so they're writing this. And he goes, no, listen, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Everything that you do, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whether you're talking, whether you're working, whether you're playing, do it all to the glory of God. And when that happens, you are worshiping. Colossians 3.23, here's another example. In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. So it's saying, hey, give God everything that you have. Don't just say, well, I'm kind of going into, I'm just a school teacher. No, he says that is worship. Or, man, I'm just working in this bank. It doesn't matter where you work. Man, this is your chance to worship. Whatever you do, I'm just going to school. No, listen, this is your chance. In all the work that you're doing, do the very best you can. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. If you're making movies, if you're making music. I mean, if you're going to school, if you're working, your life is worship. Well, let me ask you another part that most people, particularly in the simple church, get confused on. In our area, they're really confused on. What if worship is not about a location? So if it is about your life, this is where the challenge comes in. It can't be just about a location. Because your life is moving around, your worship, your life is literally place to place, location to location. And God is saying that when you're living, when you're living for me, when you're acting for me, when you're talking, when you're teaching, when you're raising kids, whatever it is, all of that glorifies me. And that is your spiritual act of worship. So you can't narrow it down to, well, I got to go to church to worship or I got to go to worship night to worship. It's not everything. Every day is a chance to worship. So let me take you back in time to John chapter 4. And I'll put it on the screen for you, but I'm going to give you a little background as I look at this. This is a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were half-breeds, rejects, and the Jewish people hated them. This is why this story is important. It is also a woman. In their culture, women had no respect. You couldn't talk to a woman. You couldn't be seen with a woman by yourself. All of this is fixing to happen with Jesus, our Savior, because this is the woman at the well. Now, if it wasn't enough that she's a Samaritan and that she is a woman, she was also married to five different men. Not one, five different men. And in all of this moment, in everything that's going on, Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. All of his disciples, his boys are going, oh my gosh, we got to go through that town. We got to go through that city. It'd be kind of like us going, oh, you got to go over there. Oh my gosh, why don't we go? Whatever neighborhood it is, whatever race it is that you don't like, whatever group of people it is, Jesus is like, no, I'm taking you in the center of that town, in the center of that area for a reason. And I'm going to talk to the one person you don't want to talk to, that you can't talk to, that you shouldn't talk to. Why? Because we're going to have a discussion about what true worship is. And she says this to him. Our ancestors worshiped God in this mountain, at this mountain. But you Jews, you share she says, but you Jews, you insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? So they're in this debate. Jesus and the Samaritan woman in this debate. And Jesus comes back and drops a bomb on her when he says, believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. It's not going to be about what location you're in. There's going to be a shocking revelation to you. It's not going to be about whether you're here or you're there. But the time is coming. And in fact, it has come, he says. 
In fact, it is right now because I'm standing before you because when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. Well, I'm Catholic or I'm Baptist or I got to be in this church or I got to sing these songs. And he's like, no, you don't. A time is coming. I now am the Messiah and I am standing before you and there is a new day and there is a new covenant and you cannot contain God into one church or one religion or one box or one song style or anything else. Boom, he hits her right between the eyes and said, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand, including not just her, but his followers. But there's more. Look at what he continues to say. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Does that sound familiar, what I just told you? This is Jesus now. How is worship? How are we supposed to do this? No, it's who you are. You can't just sing a song and play the game and go, man, they're really worshiping. No, it's about what's going on in here. So your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. So you can't live dishonestly. You can't be playing the game like we all do. Oh, hallelujah. And then you go inside and there's some dirty stuff going on. The way you treated someone in the parking lot coming in. The way you treated your spouse or your kids. The way you're doing things at work. Or the things that you're not telling anybody about. That you're doing in the secret of the dark. God's going, no, I see right through it. So it don't matter what your songs are. It don't matter what denomination you say you're a part of. I'm looking beyond the outside. I'm looking into the spirit and the truth of who you are. And that's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply... And honestly, themselves before him in their worship. If you don't get anything else, this would be worth remembering. Simply and honestly, God, here I am. So when we talk about simple church, when you talk about me, I am an imperfect, sinning, cussing pastor. Y'all already know that. I am working on it. I can mess up talking to my wife wrong. I can treat strangers wrong. But my heart, my goal, my passion is going, Jesus, help me to be more like you. And I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. But the key issue is for you and for me to go, God, you know me. Help me. Change my heart. Help me to be more like you. Not in just one song or in one sermon. But when I walk off of the stage, when you see me out at the restaurant, when you see me on the street, that it's the same. That I am honest and it is true. And I am simply and honestly being themselves. For these 30 plus years, if you were to talk to anybody, I'm pretty much the same guy. I hope I've matured in some ways. But I would bet most of you go, man, that dude is pretty much the same Why? Same way. Why? Because to me, that is the worship. I don't get, you don't get one guy here and another guy when he's at home and another guy when he's at the restaurant. I try to absolutely be honest and go man this is where I'm at perfect a long way from it gonna mess up guaranteed but let me tell you what he's looking for in me and you don't play no games quit playing the games with it let's keep it honest and real and if we're keeping it honest and real let's all be honest in the church and say that most of the time including your pastor we tend to focus on the wrong stuff so, for example, when somebody in the Christian world, this is why I have a problem with the worship. This is why many times in the church people are arguing with me or they have an opinion and they come and tell me. And I'm going to go, listen, man, I've been doing it a while. And unfortunately, it messes with me. And sometimes I focus on the wrong thing. So I need some help here, Jesus. Because I also was on the road with some of the biggest acts at the time and some of the different people. And one thing was happening one side. And on the other side, there was something else going on, including even an open eyes. 
Because we weren't honest all the time. We weren't truthful all the time. There were different things everyone was battling with. But the truth was the church couldn't handle it. And they didn't want you to be honest. Because if you were honest, then you got ostracized or put away or not accepted. And thus, the reason the simple church exists. It's because I go, man, if we could do it different. Man, if we could only accept whoever you are and whatever you've gone through. And go, man, you have a place and you are forgiven. And we all need second chances and third and fourths and fifths. The striper clip that I pulled is from a movie. Uh, it's a documentary called The Jesus Music. And we're going to watch it coming up on February 5th or 6th. We're trying to nail down our date where we can go in as a church and watch it in the movie theater. And it is a history of Christian music from the beginning to where we are even today. I watched it with my wife already. It's phenomenal. And what makes it phenomenal is the Amy Grant stories, the Russ Taft stories, the DC Talk stories. The Billy Graham stories, the Striper stories, where people are telling their honest truth and going, this is where I was, and this is what God did, and this is what I am honored to have been a part of. And what I was fascinated by is for the first time, and maybe in my lifetime, I saw people being honest. I saw people talk about their hurt and their pain of being rejected because they went through a divorce. Amy Grant with Vince Gill when she married Vince Gill. And Christian music ostracized her and turned her away and said, you're no longer allowed in Christian music. I heard the story of Striper and Michael Sweet and them talk about the hurt and the pain of being rejected. And when one of the pastors that they looked up to and actually led them to the Lord stood up on stage and said, they're from the devil. Don't buy their tapes. Don't listen to their music. And little did the pastor know that he was the one that led his entire, Michael Sweet's entire family to the Lord and the pain that was associated with that. Now, why do I tell you all of those stories? I want you to watch the documentary with us. I'll tell you next week when it's going to be. You can come with your family and friends and we'll enjoy it. And then maybe have a little discussion afterwards and to even get some more insight out of that. But this is the challenge for you. When I start looking at your life and my life, don't listen to the way it sounds. Don't worry about the location or the style or even the position of your hands. Anybody grew up in church? Now, let me give you a little background. I grew up Catholic and Baptist. Baptist didn't like music. I got kicked out of a local church because my hair was too long and he didn't want our image in front of the kids. And so we went to the charismatic church where charismatic lets you have long hair. They played drums. They had guitars and still some other stuff that we didn't understand. But we were like, at least we can play music. And in that process, I remember seeing in the birth of the movement was of raising hands was happening. And I was like, well, what's going on with this? Now, if you've never grown up in church and you don't understand the raising of hands and that doesn't make sense, I got good news for you. Here is a little short, little tutorial to help you understand what this looks like for my friend, Tim Hawkins. Watch. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We got a lot of different hand raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. <laughs> Very subtle, get warmed up, get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready, carry the TV. Carry the TV, that's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen, big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big, my fish was this big. You're a liar and you go out there, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Jesus loves you, Grace. Next one's hold my baby, hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. 
Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. Come on, man. Give it up for Tim. Helping you understand. Why is that so funny? Because if you grew up in that world, you know every one of those things. It's the way it is. It was like all these different things. So here's the crazy part. You ready for this? Well, what if worship is not about what happens on the outside? What if it's not about your location? What if it's not about your style? What about if it's not what's happening with your hands? 1 Samuel 16, 7, this is a heart of God. We're going to go Old Testament and let you know what God does and who he is. He says, God doesn't look at what people see. People judge by what's on the outside, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Truth. Honesty. He looks beyond what the image we like to put out. He's like, no, I see you. I know what's up. This was over kick, picking the king, King David. This was over like, who am I going to pick? Everybody said, oh, it's these guys, it's these guys. And it was, no, it was the shepherd who was out in the field who was humble and broken. And he said, no, that's the guy I'm looking for. See, what if worship is about honesty? What if it is about the truth? Let me give you a little insight. You ready? Psalm 51. It's pretty heavy. I've been out of step with you for a long time. Maybe you can relate. And what you're after is the truth from the inside out. Because going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. Man, I, if I could only have grabbed this at my younger age. We were always worried about hitting every note and making sure everything was just right. And God's like, man, I'm not looking for a flawless performance. Man, I'm not looking for you to be perfect. I'm not wanting you to just go through the mud. Well, I'm going to church. I just got to know. He's like, no, no, no. It starts in here. I'm trying to check up with you. How are we doing? And then it's like, hey, what about from the inside out? See, because it continues. I learned that God, that worship is when my pride was shattered. That a heart shattered life is what God's looking for. It doesn't for a moment escape God's notice when you come in and go, I am broken. I got nothing. And I told you, I grew up 80s guy. And one of my favorite artists of all time, and everybody knows, including my daughter, because I got the socks on today. She got me these for Christmas. These are some Bono socks, all right? And Hannah was like, Dad, I know how much you love Bono. I'm like, yeah, I do. I really do love him. And one of the reasons why is because of his relationship with Christ, and his ability to be honest and real. And his ability to change the world. Because whether you like it or not, I go, man, it's one thing to say you're going to do something. It's nothing when you live your life out in such a way that real change happens. Well, as I'm preparing for this series, I run across this video. And this video is from uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. So this is a big seminary in America. And they actually interview Bono. 
And they interview Bono, and he's got a lot of them. Eugene Peterson is another one, the guy that wrote the message. He sits down with Eugene. I'll pull that up coming up uh, through this series as well. But this one is one I had not seen before. And the reason that I pulled it today is because what you're going to see and hear is Bono say exactly what I've shown you through Scripture. Is that so many times we like to present in Christian music or in the church world the perfect image. Everything has to be just right. You have to act just right. You have to say everything just right. And then you fake it till you make it. But maybe just like what we've learned through Psalm 51... It's brutal honesty, keeping it real. Man, I'm struggling today. God, it's been a long time since we've connected. If you don't mind, pull that scripture back up for me real fast. I've been out of step with you for a long time, brutal honesty. What you're after is truth from the inside out. See, this is what he's coming back to. And going through the motion doesn't please you, God. So a flawless performance is nothing to you. Then he continues on. And what does he say? I learned that God worship is when my pride was shattered. The divorce came. When I lost my job. When the sickness entered my life. It's not just, oh, everything's good. Praise the Lord. Everything's going my way. No, it's when it's the worst of the worst. And when you have a life that is shattered, you can be brutally honest. Then God goes, I see you. Now, as Bono talks about this, I want you to listen close. This is a seminary. This is going to school. We need to go deep. The problem with the simple church is just not deep enough. Prepare yourselves. You're going deep. And what are you going deep into? No more BS. Keeping it real. Watch. As I look through the scriptures, I just see a bunch of the dodgiest people ever collected in one place. Murderers, adulterers, egomaniacs. I mean, they sound like most of my friends. <laughs> they sound like me. And I mean, David's treatment mm-hmm. of Bathsheba's husband, it's, it's mind-blowing mm-hmm. that he had such darkness in him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he murders. He, really, he gets her sent to the front line to, right. to get the husband out of the way so he can take advantage of the missus. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. This same character right through the alchemy right that is grace and redemption we know god doesn't have favorites but if he has you think it might be david <laughs> and you think well how how mm. and for me it's revealed in the psalms of david the honesty mm-hmm. whether he wrote them or not or sure. attributed to them sure they are marked by honesty sure and i want to argue the case for artists or potential artists who might be listening in on our conversation and are are not giving expression mm-hmm. to what's really going on in their life because they feel it will give the wrong impression of them. We don't have to please God in any other way, really, other than to be brutally honest. Sure. That is the root not just to a relationship with God, mm-hmm. but it's the route to a great song. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the only place you can find a great mm-hmm. song. It's the only pl- place you can find any work of art sure. of merit. The reason I think that it spoke so much to me is because if you've done music for 20 or 30 years like we had, we don't have a lot of great songs, but there's a few 
that through brutal honesty impact us. We were doing a camp. Um, it's like a retreat, a conference in Tennessee. And as I told you, you're looking at some broken, sinful guys. Now, at the time, I don't know that we were always totally honest because we would always come out and, you know, we got to go through the gig and everybody was trying to do it. But behind the scenes, when we got to the room, this is where it began to change. Like, man, I don't really like playing the game. And Greg had some stuff going on in his life. We all had some stuff going on in our life. And me and Greg were rooming together. He said, hey, man, listen to this. And he began to play these chords. And he's not a great vocalist, but with the best that he could, he said, man, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And it was based on Psalm 51, this psalm I just read to you. It was about like, hey, man, I got to keep it real. And so we were going to try to close with the song today to do some worship and stuff. And I was like, man, I guess we're... we had another song picked, actually. And I called Greg. I was like, man, I don't think we can do it. It's just not real. It's not brutally honest. And so this is the brutal honesty of the guys here on the stage. Daniel was there, Alan, all of us were there, and we kind of cried through it. And I want to sing it for you, and the whole goal is not for you to go, oh, my gosh, they sang so good. That's such." No, what I really want you to do is just go, man, is that me? Can I relate to that? And maybe as we sing it and as you listen to the lyrics, you will hear what David was saying. It's like, God, change me, man. Change me. Father, as we sing this song, I pray that people would hear it, that they would understand that it comes from the heart, a heart of brokenness, a heart of really pain. A bunch of sinful guys trying to figure out what to do and how to lead kids and how to sing songs. And what we realized in that moment was, man, what we need to be is just honest, brutally honest. And as Bono said, it's the only way to a relationship with you. So Jesus, I pray as we sing it tonight, today, it would help. It would help somebody in the audience, somebody watching online to go, man, I can relate. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You ask me how much, how much I love, love you. Sometimes I wonder in this life I live. And Jesus, I ask you this time, can you
on my knees again Another prayer Familiar words And please don't turn your back on me Cause I need your love On my knees again, another prayer, familiar words. Father, I thank you, man, that 30 years ago you broke us and you allowed us to be a part of something pretty cool just to be able to feel your presence and to know that you didn't give up on us. And as David sang a long time ago, God, we echo that same thought. Creating us a clean heart, a pure heart, a new heart. Help us, God, to be brutally honest with whatever it is we brought in this room. And for those that may be new to the idea of worship or even church, that they'd cut through all the stuff that everybody tries to make it. And they would see it for what it is, a simple relationship with a God who has the ability to forgive. The God who has the ability to give fresh starts, new beginnings. The one who can create clean hearts. Lord, if there's somebody that's never done it, They've never surrendered. God, I pray it wouldn't be religion or denomination. It would be a relationship with you by simply saying, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. I'm messed up. I'm broken, and I need you. And, Lord, you promised to meet them right where they're at. Thank you, God, for your grace and for your love. Help us, God, as we go through this series to understand what true worship is. It's not the songs we sing. It's the lives that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I get an amen? Come on. Hopefully. Hopefully you learned something today. Hopefully you, can you give it up for Greg writing a good song like 30 years ago? Very good song. 
as we go through this and we have some fun with it, I pray that you will uh, learn a few things and then you'll go, okay, I get it. I understand where we're trying to go through this series. And then mark your calendars for that movie. I want you to go and experience that with us because it's a great ride if you grew up liking Christian music. Uh, we're going to have a good time with that documentary, all right? I love y'all. I will see you right back here next week. Hopefully with the Cowboys win. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, son. They said, no way, but I'm hoping for it, all right? Until next week, what do we say, y'all? Peace. Thanks for coming.